Section 24 of Natural Theology by William Paley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 22. Astronomy. Part 2. 2. Our second proposition is that whilst the possible laws of variation were infinite, the admissible laws, or the laws compatible with the preservation of the system, lie within narrow limits. If the attracting force had varied according to any direct law of the distance, let it have been what it would, great destruction and confusion would have taken place. The direct, simple proportion of the distance would, it is true, have produced an ellipse, but the perturbing forces would have acted with so much advantage as to be continually changing the dimensions of the ellipse in a manner inconsistent with our terrestrial creation. For instance, if the planet Saturn, so large and so remote, had attracted the earth, both in proportion to the quantity of matter contained in it, which it does, and also in any proportion to its distance, i.e., if it had pulled the harder for being the further off, instead of the reverse of it, it would have dragged out of its course the globe which we inhabit, and have perplexed its motions to a degree incompatible with our security, our enjoyments, and probably our existence. Of the inverse laws, if the centripetal force had changed as the cube of the distance, or in any higher proportion, that is, for I speak to the unlearned, if at double the distance the attractive force had been diminished to an eighth part, or to less than that, the consequence would have been that the planets, if they once began to approach the sun, would have fallen into his body. If they once, though by ever so little, increased their distance from the center, would forever have receded from it. The laws, therefore, of attraction, by which a system of revolving bodies could be upholden in their motions, lie within narrow limits compared with the possible laws. I much underrate the restriction when I say that in a scale of a mile they are confined to an inch. All direct ratios of the distance are excluded on account of danger from perturbing forces. All reciprocal ratios, except what lie beneath the cube of the distance, by the demonstrable consequence that every the least change of distance would, under the operation of such laws, have been fatal to the repose and order of the system. We do not know, that is, we seldom reflect, how interested we are in this matter. Small irregularities may be endured, but changes within these limits being allowed for, the permanency of our ellipse is a question of life and death to our whole sensitive world. 3. That the subsisting law of attraction falls within the limits which utility requires, when these limits bear so small a proportion to the range of possibilities upon which chance might equally have cast it, is not, with any appearance of reason, to be accounted for by any other cause than a regulation proceeding from a designing mind. But our next proposition carries the matter somewhat further. We say, in the third place, that, out of the different laws which lie within the limits of admissible laws, the best is made choice of, that there are advantages in this particular law which cannot be demonstrated to belong to any other law, and concerning some of which it can be demonstrated that they do not belong to any other. 1. Whilst this law prevails between each particle of matter, the united attraction of a sphere, composed of that matter, observes the same law. This property of the law is necessary to render it applicable to a system composed of spheres, but it is a property which belongs to no other law of attraction that is admissible. The law of variation of the united attraction is in no other case the same as the law of attraction of each particle, one case accepted, and that is, of the attraction varying directly as the distance, the inconveniency of which law in other respects we have already noticed. 
We may follow this regulation somewhat further, and still more strikingly perceive that it proceeded from a designing mind. A law, both admissible and convenient, was requisite. In what way is the law of the attracting globes obtained? Astronomical observations and terrestrial experiments show that the attraction of the globes of the system is made up of the attraction of their parts, the attraction of each globe being compounded of the attractions of its parts. Now the admissible and convenient law which exists could not be obtained in a system of bodies gravitating by the united gravitation of their parts unless each particle of matter were attracted by a force varying by one particular law, viz. varying inversely as the square of the distance. For if the action of the particles be according to any other law whatever, the admissible and convenient law which is adopted could not be obtained. Here then are clearly shown regulation and design. A law both admissible and convenient was to be obtained. The mode chosen for obtaining that law was by making each particle of matter act. After this choice was made, then further attention was to be given to each particle of matter, and one and one only particular law of action to be assigned to it. No other law would have answered the purpose intended. 2. All systems must be liable to perturbations, and therefore to guard against these perturbations, or rather to guard against their running to destructive lengths, is perhaps the strongest evidence of care and foresight that can be given. Now we are able to demonstrate of our law of attraction what can be demonstrated of no other, and what qualifies the dangers which arise from cross but unavoidable influences, that the action of the parts of our system upon one another will not cause permanently increasing irregularities, but merely periodical or vibratory ones. That is, they will come to a limit and then go back again. This we can demonstrate only of a system in which the following properties concur, viz., that the force shall be inversely as the square of the distance, the masses of the revolving bodies small compared with that of the body at the center, the orbits not much inclined to one another, and their eccentricity little. In such a system the grand points are secure. The mean distances and periodic times upon which depend our temperature and the regularity of our year are constant. The eccentricities, it is true, will still vary, but so slowly and to so small an extent as to produce no inconveniency from fluctuation of temperature and season. The same as to the obliquity of the planes of the orbits. For instance, the inclination of the ecliptic to the equator will never change above two degrees out of ninety, and that will require many thousand years in performing. It has been rightly also remarked that if the great planets, Jupiter and Saturn, had moved in lower spheres, their influences would have had much more effect as to disturbing the planetary motions than they now have. While they revolve at so great distances from the rest, they act almost equally on the sun and on the inferior planets, which has nearly the same consequence as not acting at all upon either. If it be said that the planets might have been sent round the sun in exact circles, in which case no change of distance from the center taking place, the law of variation of the attracting power would have never come in question. One law would have served as well as another. An answer to the scheme may be drawn from the consideration of these same perturbing forces. The system retaining in other respects its present constitution, though the planets had been at first sent round in exact circular orbits, they could not have kept them, and if the law of attraction had not been what it is, or at least if the prevailing law had transgressed the limits above assigned, every evagation would have been fatal. The planet, once drawn, as drawn it necessarily must have been, out of its course, would have wandered in endless error. 5. 
what we have seen in the law of the centripetal force viz a choice guided by views of utility and a choice of one law out of thousands which might equally have taken place we see no less in the figures of the planetary orbits it was not enough to fix the law of the centripetal force though by the wisest choice for even under that law it was still competent to the planets to have moved in paths possessing so great a degree of eccentricity as in the course of every revolution to be brought very near to the sun and carried away to immense distances from him the comets actually move in orbits of this sort and had the planets done so instead of going round in orbits nearly circular the change from one extremity of temperature to another must in ours at least have destroyed every animal and plant upon its surface now the distance from the centre at which a planet sets off and the absolute force of attraction at that distance being fixed the figure of its orbit its being a circle or nearer to or further off from a circle viz a rounder or a longer oval depends upon two things the velocity with which and the direction in which the planet is projected and these in order to produce a right result must be both brought within certain narrow limits one and only one velocity united with one and only one direction will produce a perfect circle and the velocity must be near to this velocity and the direction also near to this direction to produce orbits such as the planetary orbits are nearly circular that is ellipses with small eccentricities the velocity and the direction must both be right if the velocity be wrong no direction will cure the error if the direction be in any considerable degree oblique no velocity will produce the orbit required take for example the attraction of gravity at the surface of the earth the force of that attraction being what it is out of all the degrees of velocity swift and slow with which a ball might be shot off none would answer the purpose of which we are speaking but what was nearly that of five miles in a second if it were less than that the body would not get round at all but would come to the ground if it were in any considerable degree more than that the body would take one of those eccentric courses those long ellipses of which we have noticed the inconveniency if the velocity reached the rate of seven miles in a second or went beyond that the ball would fly off from the earth and never be heard of more in like manner with respect to the direction out of the innumerable angles in which the ball might be sent off i mean angles formed with a line drawn to the center none would serve but what was nearly a right one out of the various directions in which the cannon might be pointed upwards and downwards every one would fail but what was exactly or nearly horizontal the same thing holds true of the planets of our own amongst the rest we are entitled therefore to ask and to urge the question why did the projectile velocity and projectile direction of the earth happen to be nearly those which would retain it in a circular form why not one of the infinite numbers of velocities one of the infinite number of directions which would have made it approach much nearer to or recede much further from the sun the planets going round all in the same direction and all nearly in the same plane afforded to buffon a ground for asserting that they had all been shivered from the sun by the same stroke of a comet and by that stroke projected into their present orbits now beside that this is to attribute to chance the fortunate concurrence of velocity and direction which we have been here noticing the hypothesis as i apprehend is inconsistent with the physical laws by which the heavenly motions are governed if the planets were struck off from the surface of the sun they would return to the surface of the sun again nor will this difficulty be got rid of by supposing that the same violent blow which shattered the sun's surface and separated large fragments from it pushed the sun himself out of his place 
for the consequence of this would be that the sun and system of shattered fragments would have a progressive motion which indeed may possibly be the case with our system but then each fragment would in every revolution return to the surface of the sun again the hypothesis is also contradicted by the vast difference which subsists between the diameters of the planetary orbits the distance of saturn from the sun to say nothing of the georgium Sidus, is nearly five and twenty times that of mercury a disparity which it seems impossible to reconcile with buffon's scheme bodies starting from the same place with whatever difference of direction or velocity they set off could not have been found at these different distances from the center still retaining their nearly circular orbits they must have been carried to their proper distances before they were projected footnote Quote, if we suppose the matter of the system to be accumulated in the center by its gravity no mechanical principles with the assistance of this power of gravity could separate the vast mass into such parts as the sun and planets and after carrying them to their different distances project them in their several directions preserving still the equality of action and reaction or the state of the center of gravity of the system such an exquisite structure of things could only arise from the contrivance and powerful influences of an intelligent free and most potent agent the same powers therefore which at present govern the material universe and conduct its various motions are very different from those which were necessary to have produced it from nothing or to have disposed it in the admirable form in which it now proceeds Close quote. mclaren's account of newton's philosophy page 407 edition 3 End of footnote. to conclude in astronomy the great thing is to raise the imagination to the subject and that oftentimes in opposition to the impression made upon the senses an illusion for example must be gotten over arising from the distance at which we view the heavenly bodies viz the apparent slowness of their motions the moon shall take some hours in getting half a yard from a star which it touched a motion so deliberate we may think easily guided but what is the fact the moon in fact is all this while driving through the heavens at the rate of considerably more than two thousand miles in an hour which is more than double of that with which a ball is shot off from the mouth of a cannon yet is this prodigious rapidity as much under government as if the planet proceeded ever so slowly or were conducted in its course inch by inch it is also difficult to bring the imagination to conceive what yet to judge tolerably of the matter it is necessary to conceive how loose if we may so express it the heavenly bodies are enormous globes held by nothing confined by nothing are turned into free and boundless space each to seek its course by the virtue of an invisible principle but a principle one common and the same in all and ascertainable to preserve such bodies from being lost from running together in heaps from hindering and distracting one another's motions in a degree inconsistent with any continuing order i e to cause them to form planetary systems systems that when formed can be upheld and most especially systems accommodated to the organized and sensitive natures which the planets sustain as we know to be the case where alone we can know what the case is upon our earth all this requires an intelligent interposition because it can be demonstrated concerning it that it requires an adjustment of force distance direction and velocity out of the reach of chance to have produced an adjustment in its view to utility similar to that which we see in ten thousand subjects of nature which are nearer to us but in power and in the extent of space through which that power is exerted stupendous but many of the heavenly bodies as the sun and fixed stars are stationary 
their rest must be the effect of an absence or of an equilibrium of attractions. It proves also that a projectile impulse was originally given to some of the heavenly bodies and not to others. But further, if attraction act at all distances, there can be only one quiescent center of gravity in the universe, and all bodies whatever must be approaching this center or revolving around it. According to the first of these suppositions, if the duration of the world had been long enough to allow of it, all its parts, all the great bodies of which it is composed, must have been gathered together in a heap round this point. No changes, however, which have been observed, afford us the smallest reason for believing that either the one supposition or the other is true, and then it will follow that attraction itself is controlled or suspended by a superior agent, that there is a power above the highest of the powers of material nature, a will which restrains and circumscribes the operations of the most extensive. Footnote. It must here, however, be stated that many astronomers deny that any of the heavenly bodies are absolutely stationary. Some of the brightest of the fixed stars have certainly small motions, and of the rest the distance is too great and the intervals of our observation too short to enable us to pronounce with certainty that they may not have the same. The motions in the fixed stars which have been observed are considered either as proper to each of them or as compounded of the motion of our system and of motions proper to each star. By a comparison of these motions, a motion in our system is supposed to be discovered. By continuing this analogy to other and to all systems, it is possible to suppose that attraction is unlimited and that the whole material universe is revolving round some fixed point within its containing sphere of space. End of section 24